So we're looking at Luke today. Let's change the subject. Chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. Remember, parables are identified by the words like and as, or the word parable. Um, and we know that Jesus told them, as he said in Matthew 13, to conceal the truth or the teaching from the unbelievers, but to reveal it to his own followers. That's Matthew chapter 13. And here Luke uh, writes another unique parable. He's the only one that shares this parable. You know, he was a Gentile. The other 11 were Jews, but he was a Gentile. And he was a physician. We thank God for his testimony, traveled with Paul on missionary journeys. And this is, of course, a great, great parable. And I've entitled it, The Seats of Humility. The Seats of Humility. The Lord's not condemning those who offer special seating. He's condemning those dignitaries who expect special seating because they think they're worthy of it. And that's what the lesson of the parable is. Stand with me, if you will, and we're going to, I know I had you in Luke, but I'm going to actually read to you Proverbs chapter 25. So I say Luke, and you turn there, and then I switch on you, and we're going to read from Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. And if you don't have it, just stand, and I'll read it, and you can look it up later. It's in your notes. Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For, it is, for better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than thou, than thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince, whom thine eyes have seen. You know what the teaching is there. Don't go and expect a special position and take it and then be told you're in the wrong seat, you've got to move back. And that's, that's what Solomon is saying here in Proverbs chapter 25. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king and stand not in the place of great men. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. This wonderful parable in Luke chapter 14, help us to learn something and apply it to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as, as a pastor, sometimes I have to remind people not to put me on a pedestal because sometimes people want to do that with their pastor. Uh, I think we've done a lot of things over the years. Churches have failed. I, I know that churches have just looked the other way and let their pastors do things that are wrong. I'm not talking about Anchor of Hope. I'm talking about churches in general. When I talk about churches, some people always wonder if I'm going backwards in our church history. I'm not. I haven't done it since I've been here. I'm talking about churches in general. You know, I talk to pastors all the time. Today I talked to Pastor Tim Wolf, and I talked to two pastors today. I talk to pastors all the time. They call, and I call, and, and what's going on in our world is sad. But, you know, in some churches, they'll deify people. I mean, churches that say that Peter and Mary never sinned. And they, you know, they, they deify them. You don't want to deify Mary, and you don't want to defy her either, because Mary was a great lady. She was chosen to bear the Jesus Christ. It's an awesome thing, and Scripture tells her she's blessed above all women for that great opportunity. But Mary in Luke two calls Jesus her Savior. She she needed her sin paid for too, and to think that Peter to teach that Peter you know, with sinless is a joke. Anyone who reads their Bible <laughs> knows Peter was not sinless. I love Peter. 
because he's a lot like we are, right? He's a mover and a shaker. Sometimes he ran over people who got in his way. But, you know, we, we learned tonight about the importance of just realizing you're not as important as you think you are. You know, and, and that's something we all have to think about. We all think we're a little smarter, a little better looking, a little, you know, better than we are. And we have to realize what we are. And when the Apostle Paul says, there's nothing good in him, we have to realize, hey, this is a guy who started 50-some churches and wrote 13 books in the Bible. So here, that's the lesson about humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in God's sight. Like Christ, what did he do? He humbled himself. While he was on the earth, remember, he rolled up his sleeves, took off his robe, and washed feet. We talked about that recently. And then in Philippians 2, he emptied himself of all his divine attributes, humbled himself. He was obedient and humbled himself to the point of the cross. So he set the perfect example. Uh, appearing to be humble in the sight of people and putting on a front is simply hypocrisy. Humility is a result of a relationship with God. It's not putting in a front and acting. And uh, none of us are what we ought to be in that area. We all struggle with pride. I do, you do, we all do. The Pharisees and lawyers always watched Jesus, didn't they? They always tried to entrap him. And in chapter 4, in the first few verses, we find them bringing a man who's sick and trying to get Jesus to heal him on the Sabbath day. Remember, the seventh was their special day, and they wouldn't work on the Sabbath. And so they bring a man and, you know, challenge Jesus. And, of course, Jesus healed people. Healing wasn't work. They considered it work. And Jesus points out the hypocrisy, he says in the next couple verses. He says, if you had an ox in a ditch on the Sabbath, you'd pull it out because that ox is valuable. And you're expecting me not to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And so we know, I'm thankful the Sabbath day ordinances were nailed to the cross, aren't you? Because Saturdays um, it would be difficult <laughs> if we had to abide by those rules. And, you know, we, we just, we're not under that, so thank God for it. But we, we find here, he shares a parable in verse 7. It says, and he put forth a parable. It's a word that means to throw alongside of. So he'd throw this story alongside of something to illustrate a truth. The story wasn't true. And then he'll teach a principle in verse 11. Look at verse 11. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And then finally, he has a practical application in verses 12 through 14. He said unto him that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor the rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. He says, don't call on people to have them over to eat if you expect for them to ask you back to their house for supper. He says, now, we're not saying that that is wrong to have people over and then to go back over to their house. But, the lesson here is a parable on humility. And this could apply to not just feeding people supper at your house. It could apply to so many things. 
We do for people because we want to get a pat on the back or repayment. And that's what the lesson is about, our motives. So he says, when you make a feast, call the poor and the handicapped. It's a quick paraphrase of that last line. But he says, call the poor, call the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense. They can't pay you back. And he says, because you're going to be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Now, there are two, two resurrections. You know that. And it, the first resurrection, not the rapture, resurrection, the rapture is never called a resurrection. Only two passages in Scripture in all the Bible talk about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. All the other past passages are referring to the second advent when he returns. And when he returns, remember, after the seven-year tribulation set up his kingdom, he's going to resurrect those tribulation martyrs in all the Old Testament saints. That's the first resurrection. You don't want part of the second resurrection. Three passages you have in your notes talk about the second resurrection. You don't want any part of that because that's when they're raised and judged at the great white throne. So we're thankful for the first resurrection because the tribulation martyrs and the Old Testament saints are raised. We're raptured. We're raptured. But uh, the dead in Christ, and then we will follow. So that takes care of the church age. But prior to the church age, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will be raised at that first resurrection. You see, the Old Testament saints are not part of the church. They're not resurrected at the rapture. Their resurrection is later. The bride is resurrected, and that's when we had that wonderful marriage, and that honeymoon time, I guess we could say seven years or whatever you want to say. And on earth, hell is just it's, it's horrible on earth. We're not going to, I'm getting off the subject. But we know that Jesus here is teaching this lesson, and it's social hierarchy. And social hierarchy is often about money. And that's what Solomon says in Proverbs. It warns us not to be presumptuous and to, to expect to be treated in a great way because if you're asked to move, it's kind of embarrassing. Um, I had in my church the, the head of the Marine Corps band in my military church. We had a big church, and the head of the Marine Corps band was in our church, so we had great brass. And we had different music every Sunday. One Sunday we had Southern Gospel, we had banjos and guitars, we had so many people in our church. And then the next Sunday we would have you know, the Marine Corps band, brass band play. Oh, man, was it good. And uh, we'd have our Korean ladies would sing one Sunday and our Filipino ladies and our, uh, our Japanese. It was just, just great, but I got way off the subject there. Um, but we had, we had great, great music. And um, I wanted to say that because Jim, um, Jim Ford was the head of the Marine Corps band. And when he had his Christmas uh, program, he invited my wife and I to go. So we get there, and uh, he says, you're sitting up here. And we go all the way up to the front row, and I'm right next to the general. And I'm thinking, you know, I hope I'm in the right seat. Because <laughs> I'm not very important. <laughs> these generals around me and colonels, and it was uh, the section of dignitaries, and they had that section stand up, and I'm standing up, and I know I'm, I'm not uniforms so people don't want to who's that guy and I said I Jim are you sure he said I'm the head of the band I'm the one who assigned seating and that's where you're sitting so it was pretty special 
kind of felt a little bit proud, you know? I'm driving home, and hey, I was up there with the general. And then my wife just reminded me. <laughs> hey, you heard that story. I can't remember who's, maybe it's Chuck Swindoll. He was telling his wife, someone had come up to them and said, Pastor Swindoll, you're the, the greatest speaker that I've ever heard. And he said he got in his car with his wife and said, Dear, did you hear that? He said, how many great preachers do you think there are in the country? And she said, well, probably one less than you think there are. <laughs> you know? We need a shot of reality, and sometimes that's a shot of humility, right? Now, fake humility is to act as though you have nothing going for you. That's, that's misleading as well. Did you know every one of you are gifted spiritually in a certain way? And so... It's okay to say, well, my spiritual gift is hospitality, or my spiritual gift is mercy. Because you're giving God credit, you're saying he's gifted you. So there's a slight difference, because I've heard people stay, stand up and give this speech about how, you know, they're the dumbest person and the ugliest person on the planet, and you're thinking, that's, that's not genuine. You look at the person, they don't look that bad, and they dress fine, and they have a job. So, you know, it's difficult to discern, but the Holy Spirit will guide you and he'll speak to you and say, all right, you're too proud right now. Or, you know, that's, that's hypocrisy. That's fake humility. You know, all of us do that as well. Did you know that? So, it's tough. At chapter 20, verse 46, he says to his disciples with a crowd of people listening, Look at 2046. So, such a great application here. He says, 2046, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace. Hello, doctor. Hello, sir. Hello, your honor. And notice what else it says. And the highest seats in the synagogues. We don't have that problem in the Baptist church. <laughs> you know, uh, it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and I'm not really seeing in a Baptist church people fighting for the front row. In fact, we haven't had much of a fight here since I've been here. Uh, I remember in Okinawa, the front row was not full of our high-ranking men. We had pilots and colonels scattered out. Front row, we had all these single GIs that would all say amen. And uh, it was quite interesting. So it's kind of the reverse of Scripture, but, but here are scribes who love to walk in their robes. People just revere them, fear them, and they were feared, and they were revered. They were lawyers of the Sadducees and Pharisees. So they were really high-ranking. It's sad when the religious crowd is also the highest political-ranking crowd. There are times in our world history where church, I shouldn't use the word church, I have to use it loosely. There's been times in our history, world's history where the church has ruled the world. Did you know that? And that's sad. So don't be like the Pharisees. Going back to our text, the parable begins talking about people who are invited, called, or bidden to a wedding and how they sought out the best seats. And he says in verses 8 and following, you know, if you're asked... He's teaching them, 
just a practical lesson. He said, if you ask to a special wedding or a special event, don't expect the best seat. Now, in weddings, we do have a couple roles we reserve for the family. You know, and you, uh, you have the bride's parents and the groom's parents and the grandparents and the siblings, and then a little beyond that, you have cousins. And So the first several roles, that is important, and we do that in a wedding. And certainly, that's probably the only time I can think of where we do that. Uh, pretty much everything nowadays is you just reserve a, a seat. And uh, you know, I went to the Tivoli one time, had to buy something online, buy the tickets, and I went. And I wanted to make sure I got the right seat because you could see they had these places in the wall. And then they said, "Well, that, that's the that's the senator." Yeah, you know, you can see those special seats. I wouldn't have wanted to get up there and get in that seat. Uh, but here he says the best thing to do. Jesus says, is take the lowest seat and work your way up, you know. Uh, he says, when you're asked, he says, um, you know, take the lowest seat in the room, the last line in verse 9. And, 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 you know, then go sit down, and then if you're in the wrong seat, the friend will, you know, you'll be moved forward to the appropriate seat. The synagogues were packed. Synagogues aren't packed anymore churches aren't either. But the lesson is just not, it's really about, it's really about more than where you're sitting. It's just about expecting more than you're worth. You know? And the principle is plain. Don't exalt yourself. The only thing we're supposed to glory in, Galatians 6.14 says, don't glory in anything except the cross. Glory in Jesus. Praise God for Jesus. Lift him up. The Bible says if he's lifted up, all men will be drawn to him. So we need to exalt him. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father. The Bible says all judgment's going to be given to the Lord. Wow. He's going to go from our advocate, which is a lawyer, to the judge. Someone asked me years ago, do you think all, all lawyers are crooked? I said, no, Jesus wasn't. I have a cousin, and I believe he's an honest lawyer, and there are some. But I'll tell you, when you see the advertising, you're thinking, they're trying to entice people to fake injuries to get a check. You know? <laughs> and not all of them, okay? But, uh, you know, it's, it's a little disheartening to see that happen. Matthew in the Beatitudes, think of what Matthew says, that the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek. In Matthew 5, 3, and then Matthew 5, 5, the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven. This is a theme throughout Scripture. It's not just this passage. Scripture constantly reminds us that the least in this world are the greatest in the kingdom. And uh, the Bible, Luke 13, 30, says the last shall be first. You can look right now at Luke 13.30, because it's just a page before. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. We're going to be surprised when we get to heaven. You know? And I think Billy Graham's going to be right up there with the, the greatest, because I think Billy Graham's a humble man, but I may be shocked. He may be the guy who cleaned Billy Graham's car out each week or something. You know, you just don't know. I uh, had a fellow tell me a long time ago, he worked for the sanitation department in, in uh, Red Bank. 
and he acted as though that was, uh, he was kind of ashamed that he worked for it. And I said, why do you feel that? Well, you know, handling garbage all day. I said, you ought to be thankful. And I didn't mean proud in a sinful way, but you ought to be proud of the fact that you work. Thankful for a job and proud of the fact that you work. I said, I'm proud of you for working. And he did like this. And I said, I'm proud of you that you work. Hey, we've got enough bums now, right now. We've got enough people. The Bible said if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That guy worked. And he ought to be proud, not in an arrogant way, but just, hey, I've got a job. You know, and uh, hard to use an illustration on being proud of something when you're talking about humility. But I should, should say thankful. You know, I'm thankful for my kids. Sometimes I want to say I'm proud of my kids, but there's a time, time, there's a time or two they may embarrass me. I'll never forget, years ago, we were in this fancy restaurant in Panama, and they had these gardens. We couldn't find our son. He's two. He ran off, and we're looking around and trying to find him. And the waiter. We went out and had these beautiful gardens, and he's up there going to the bathroom in the gardens in the center of this restaurant with people all around in at their tables, and there he is. Go get him, Mary. Go get him, honey. I... No, you go get him. Yeah, I wasn't proud of him. Kids can kind of do that too, you know. And, uh, you know, we, we realize our kids will humble us. Up. <laughs> you know, in Luke one fifty two, the Bible said he, yeah, let's, I'll look back there to Luke chapter 1, verse 52. It says here in Luke one fifty two. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. That's Mary's song. Mary wrote this song. Some of the great musicians in our Bible were Miriam, Deborah, Mary. Someone asked me years ago, is it okay for a woman to lead music? I said, it is biblically, but Baptists usually won't have it, you know. But uh, women, women in the early church were big in music, and they also led in public prayer might astonish you, but that's in the Bible. It may not be popular in Baptist churches, but, but uh, Mary wrote this song, and in her song, she put that little chorus, and that's interesting. He, he put down the mighty from their seats. Isaiah said, those who are lifted up will be brought low. Ezekiel said, he will exalt the low and abase the high. Now, look at Proverbs chapter 19. We're going to make this application. and We'll try and get you out of here in a few minutes, but Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Jesus, we already read verses 12 to 14, but the practical applications here, which is don't call on people who can repay the favor. You know, if we really want to minister, we'll do things for people without expecting anything in return. And do things for people who can't ever repay us. We have a big giver to our mission. I used to, I preached for 10 years up in West Virginia every every year. I preached their missions conference. And so one of those guys was giving a lot of money to our mission. Very wealthy man. He sent $30,000. I mean, it's in the general fund. I didn't get that. But, you know, you can't repay that. That's something someone does for you, and you just say, wow, this week he sent $3,000. 
And he always puts it at the discretion of Dan Mao. I'm responsible for that money, and I've never taken a penny. But it's nice that I can bless our missionaries and say, someone gave this, and it's for you. And I don't want to give it to somebody who can give it to me back. You know, you, you don't, you're not rewarded when you just give to people, hey, you know, I'll buy you a new car and you buy me a new car. And I know, I know people that go out and they buy everybody's dinner and then the next time the other guy buys everybody's dinner. What's the point in that? Of course, I'm raised Dutch, so we were always Dutch treat. Dutch, mean, Dutch treat means y'all buy your own. <laughs> so I was raised with that. I go out to dinner, somebody I don't like them buying my dinner. You go Dutch treat. A few weeks ago, I had a friend of mine in Subway wanting to buy, and we were fighting back and forth. I said, no, you can afford yours. I can afford mine. Let's not do that. Dutch treat. But so many times, we it's tit for tat. We, we, we do something for someone, and we know they're going to do something bigger. For, and, and that's, he said, don't do that. Don't call the poor and the handicapped. That's really ministry. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have friends over for dinner. One thing in my home, my mom and dad had friends, and every week they'd have some people over for coffee cake or something. Then they'd play a game or something and just sit around and talk. And, and that's good stuff. Have your Christian fellowship. But if you really want to minister, you're really going to feed some people and really want it to be a you know, sacrificial ministry, you know, do it for people who can't pay you back. You know? Invite someone who can't really afford um, to feed themselves hardly. He concludes by talking about judgment. We've already quoted a little bit or talked a little bit about that judgment, so we're going to skip down. James chapter 2. Explain how James 2 supports the teaching of Luke 14. Well, for sake of time, I'll just explain James 2. You know that. It says, don't be a respecter of persons. If there comes in your presence someone with really nice clothing, you can tell they have money, you, you can tell they're really sharp, don't treat them different than you treat someone over here. You know, in, in church, I don't want to know who gives what. I've discovered we have some givers here. But I don't want to treat people differently, Brother Don, because... Uh, whether they give or not. I don't know what you give. I don't want to treat Don. Now, Don gives a lot to the church. Hey, Don, great to see you. And then go up to somebody that maybe doesn't give and, hi. It's called being a respecter of persons. I've been doing a lot of visiting. I visited about, I don't know, I visited two more families today. And I was at one family used to go here and they talked about their struggles financially and they're embarrassed that they can't give. I said, don't worry about that. We don't care. If you give, that's between you and God. Your right hand doesn't need to know what your left hand doeth. We want you in church. And they were like, are you sure? Yes. I want sinners in here. Go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. I want drunkards in here. I don't want them drunk when they're here. But I want people who are sinners to come into this house and be saved. And I want Christians who are struggling with their walk to be here so they can hear the word. You see, some don't have any need of the great physician. Jesus said, I came for those that had needs. He would tell the aristocrats, you know, I came to help the needy and poor. Until you realize you're spiritually poor, I can't help you. 
So the respecter of persons passage is something you can read when you get home. goes along great with our lesson here. James 2.3, it says, the question I ask is, to whom should we offer the best seats? Those, uh, who, who should we offer the best seats? Uh, you know, obviously, the people in need. Are we wrong for treating pe people differently because of their social status? Yes. Do you treat your doctor different than you do the guy who lives in the rundown trailer down the street? That's a test, isn't it? You know, and everywhere I've ever lived, there's always been somebody who didn't take care of the place. When I lived, I lived twice in a trailer. I lived in Tree and Skull Sky Mobile Home Park on Lytle Road. You remember that? And we lived in a trailer, but we kept ours real clean and neat. But there was always people that just didn't pick up their trash, just stuff all over the yard, and it used to really buff me. My wife was raised in the mission field and lived in Taiwan. So she really loved all people. We had a little girl get pregnant out of wedlock in the trailer park. She got, got a ride from a trucker and got pregnant. Doesn't know who the guy was. So I'm taking a nap one day, and my wife wants to have children, and I'm not ready yet. I wake up from a nap, and here's this cute, cute little baby next to me. And I thought, wow, and Mary's over there smiling and giggling, and there's this beautiful baby. And I was rubbing that little baby and holding her, and I said, whose baby is it? And she said that girl's name, and I was like, oh, Mary. That baby's probably got lice or something, and my wife was mad at me. Was I wrong? Of course I was. I can admit I'm wrong when you go back 40 years. Of course I was wrong. That baby's just as precious to God as... I don't want to name a politician right now. <laughs> but it's just as important as the greatest monarch in the world's baby. And it was just as deserving of love. And do you know God loves? Loves the homeless as much as he loves any of us. Did you know God loves the prostitute as much as he loves Larry? It's true. It's what the scripture teaches. Yeah. So when you have a big dinner, even Thanksgiving and Christmas, you could actually invite someone who could not ever repay you. Do you expect special treatment when you're in public? You know what? Just today, I went in and I got a Subway sandwich. I was doing some business, so I was eating on the run. And uh, the guy was talking with a guy in line ahead of me, and they talked and they talked and they talked, and I was just biting my tongue. I wanted to say, can I get a sandwich? And I thought, I'm going to teach tonight. On others, I can't say anything about this guy. And then he skipped over me and made a sandwich for the guy next to me and got it and said, were you next? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. But he went and finished that sandwich. So I waited for three sandwiches. Hey, I can wait for a sandwich. You know? I need to be patient. And did you know I have to consider those other people more important than myself? The Bible says, consider others more important than yourself. And so, how do you treat a waitress in a restaurant if you don't get the best table or the best service? Are you patient when you wait in line? I, I've got a frown. I've got an upside-down smile, you know, a frown in 
the last three out of the last four, all four of these, and I got the word sad in another one. It's convicting to me. Uh, do you consider others better than yourself? I have a brown in that one too, because I know I struggle with this. And I know if I struggle, my fellow brethren and sisters in the church struggle as well. We all need a dose of humility or a double or a triple dose. 